had a vision with me in it once. And that was weird because um, she told me. And I was like, I was at her mother's house with her. It was in the middle of the summer. And we were just sitting up talking, you know, about Jesus stuff. I mean, she was a pastor, you know. And eventually she kind of nodded off. And I quietly curled up like, ooh, thank God, because I was sleepy. And just <laughs> and went to sleep. We probably slept for a couple hours, and then she woke woke up, she woke me up, you know, Elder Durham, wake up. I was like, hmm, yeah, I was awake, hmm, yes. She's like, I had the weirdest vision. I was like, you had a vision? She said, yeah, I had a vision. She said, it involved you. I was like, well, what was it? She said, well, I walked down this hall, her mother's house, and I, I saw you, and I knocked on the door, the guest room door, and you were kneeling down praying. And I opened the door, and you said, is it Christmas? And I was like, then what happened? She said, nothing. Then the vision was over. And all I know is she didn't know how much of a Christmas freak I really was. I really was. I mean, I loved every idea of it. And so for every Christmas for over 20-plus years, I always wonder, why was I asking, is it Christmas? And what was I anticipating on Christmas? Because Christmas always meant anticipation for me. So I always thought it was probably like Christmas Eve, and I was, is it Christmas yet? Right? And I was just wondering if it was Christmas. This, this recollection of this vision came to mind this year um, because, number one, I'm dealing with grief, and you want a, a fresh start from a very dark time. And this dark time is not something that you did so you feel like you can handle the consequence of it. It's something that just happened to you. And the darkness just happened to you. And you really just want to start over. Because I run into people who have lost in their family, and they say, you know, it gets better. And you say, it, it gets better. Eventually, you'll find your new norm, your new holiday. And I'd be like, looking over there like, wow, that must be nice. Because where I sit, that is not going to happen. And so I said, well, maybe it's going to happen on Christmas. Maybe on Christmas, I'm going to wake up, and it's going to be, ah, brand new. Here's a new gift for you. No more grief. That is not the case. It's not how I, I, woke, I woke up today. <laughs> but I did wake up with a heavy heart about, is it Christmas? You, most of us have heard somebody's got a radio or something on. Now you letting this Christmas thing get too far. Um, <laughs> but most of us know churches that have canceled for the holiday. Yeah. Services that have, that are not even having them. And I get it. You want those who are serving in the church to have some time off with family. I don't know why their family's not in church, but nevertheless, you know, just, we don't want to do church. I mean, y'all be with your family every Sunday. What if, what about we want to be with our families on Sunday? And that's a valid argument. I get that. But then as a pastor, I also go, but we signed up for this. We signed up for this. It is not their fault that you hired hirelings. You hired people that do not care for the sheep. Because if any pastor knows, 
there are people that are grieving on Christmas. There are people that don't have families on Christmas. There are people that don't have loved ones on Christmas. Not everybody is doing so well today at home just baking cookies and opening presents. And every pastor knows that. So if you got a whole bunch of staff members that are pushing for you to close service, you've hired a bunch of hirelings, and the Bible talks about that. People that really don't have a concern for the sheep. Now, fast forward to Jesus' birth. The first people after his parents that were notified were shepherds. Y'all only know the wise men. Ooh, the wise men. No, because they brought the gifts. See, that's why you know it, because of the gifts. But the first people that were notified that visited before the wise men with their gifts were the shepherds. A bunch of shepherds in the region, nonetheless. Not even notable for anything. The shepherds are responsible for ordaining what God is doing by way of salvation to mankind. Could you imagine if that shepherd, some of his uh, helpers, was like, yeah, you know, I don't know about today, but I'm going to call off. He would, and he said, we're not going to go work out today. We're just going to keep the sheep over here. You would have missed out. You would have missed out. You and your entire flock would have missed out. You and everybody in your camp would have missed out on seeing the Savior face to face. We won't even know about the shepherds because in consumerist America, it's about the presence. And we only know the story that justifies the gifts. But who was esteemed to know first and foremost were the shepherds, a flock. They get it firsthand. Hello? Oh, okay. Prophets got it later when he grew up and went to the temple. Then it was confirmed in the temple by the prophets. It was just common, basic shepherds. Isn't that an interesting concept? It's all kinds of things about this Christmas story that we got a little, you know, off kilter here and there. I I don't know. Maybe maybe I should tell you some of them. You know? (laughs) One of the things that we have a song that comes from, I was sharing this with somebody. We sing this song. Where is it? About Jesus being born. Yeah, but it talks about peace on earth. Anybody? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Where is that? It's in Luke. Go to Luke chapter 1. Where is, I just see, that's why you should. I wasn't anticipating giving this to you. I just thought it was good information. There it is. Luke chapter one, go to verse 14. Luke chapter one, verse 14. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Now, most of us, know this verse and it's from 13 to 14 it says and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God these are the angels singing right glory to God uh, in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men this is this is a part of our our Christmas songs right this is part of the uh, are y'all there Luke chapter 2 I'm sorry 
I'm sorry, I moved to chapter 2. I'm sorry. I was just swiping around. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Very familiar phrase, is it not? Especially around Christmas. But every scholar has correctly stated that that verse is most better translated to say, Glory to God in the highest and peace and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Every translation, that means every scholar that examines the the structure of these words agree that it is best uh, translated to say glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, if you put that in a Christmas song, I'm pretty sure churches would be overflowing with people. Peace to who? With whom he is pleased. Indicating and implying that if you have no peace in your life, please do not look to God to give it to you if he's not pleased with you. There's a reason why you're agitated. There's a reason why you don't have any peace. Is God pleased with you? Because it is a promise to those that he is pleased with. You're trying to get the pastor to preach you peace with all your mess. And a lot of people are doing it. That greasy grace, you know, let me recondition your mind and brainwash you to believe that you should be perfectly at ease when you displease the Father. You come to me after displeasing the Father, and you tell me how bad you feel. I was like, I say, good. You feel bad? Good. I look at you weird if you didn't feel bad. Hello? <laughs> Amen? It is an interesting fact. So I guess, I guess it, it left me with, is, is it Christmas? Is it Christmas yet? Like, is it really Christmas? Luke chapter 1. Let's go to verse 16 and 17. I'll start there. I'm not going to keep you long. It's Christmas. Heaven for, that's what everybody said. It's going to be short today, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be short because it's Christmas, right? Yeah, 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 because it's Christmas. It's got to be short because it's Christmas. (laughs) You know, about an hour they say, oh, yeah, 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 because it's Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't want to keep anybody from their family. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying to be accommodating to modern society. Does that make sense? I'm trying. I'm trying. It's very difficult for me. Because I take Jesus seriously as a real person. Like if it was his birthday party and all you could think about is how you need to leave, you are a terrible guest. Like when is this gonna be over, right? Or don't even show up to his birthday party. I mean, is it not good enough that he gave you all the other Christmases with all the other presents about all your other family members? He just asked for this one Christmas party. Right. Yes. Verse chapter one, verses 16 through 17. 
This is going to be tough. I'm going to try it. Okay. That message is my, my organization is not up to par. All right. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. Verse 17. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want us to look at what the Holy Spirit really got me on. And I figured it's good enough for me. It's good enough for you uh, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. The, this particular story is giving us information regarding some of the pre measures that were done before Christ was born. This is at the, um, the proclamation of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner before Jesus Christ. That's what I want us to look at. There's so much in the Jesus story, birth, conception, and nativity that it's, it's, it's ridiculous how much is in it. But I want us to look at the birth of John the Baptist as a precursor, but very in intertwined with Jesus's birth himself. Like you cannot see the birth of Jesus, nor is the birth of Jesus told apart from John the Baptist. Right? So if you don't understand John the Baptist, you're not really gonna understand the birth of Jesus. And he designed it to be that way. He said, so this is, so he says, John the Baptist, he will come pretty much, this is a prophecy about John the Baptist, that he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, if you know your Bible, then you remember when Jesus Christ said himself that Elijah has come, All right? This is who they were saying that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. That's why Christ said he has come. If you could bear it, he has already come, All right? This particular couple of sentences about Elijah coming in the spirit and power of Elijah and to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children is a quote from the last chapter and last verse of Malachi. Okay, now Malachi, the book of Malachi, one of the minor prophets, all right, it was the last canonized Bible, a pro book of prophecy before the New Testament. So the last time the prophet spoke was Malachi. Right. And this was a quote from the last thing that they said, which was about John the Baptist. OK. This quote was quoted in Malachi. And then after the Malachi quoted this prophecy, I mean, after Malachi stated this prophecy, which is quoted here, there was what the Bible we all call the 400 years of silence where nobody prophesied about anything. The people just did stuff and kept doing things. And if you look at the history of Israel, Israel went from a family that followed God to a nation that followed God, right? But when they became a nation that followed God, it was tough because by the time they became a people that could be a nation, they were already enslaved by the Egyptians, right? So part of the freeing of Israel was to say, let my people go, Pharaoh, right? That they might worship me freely. All right, still not a nation, right? Just a bunch of worshipers with a specific religion, right? Then after they crossed over and began to take over lands, right, then they became a nation under God, right? Serving God, both worshiping and under the leadership of God, right? 
Then they wanted a pre uh, 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 a king, and then everything starts spiraling down after that. By the time we get to Malachi, there have been years, about 2,000 plus years of Old Testament serving of God, all right? The law, the temple, slaughtering lambs and sheep and offering goats, right? And as you notice in the Bible, these years, the children of Israel got worse and worse and worse and worse. They started getting disbanded and sent off and captured and broke apart and all kinds of things for, for um, uh, um, punishment, for correction, right? By the time we get to Malachi, <coughs> all the correction in the world did not stop them from really being pretty messy, breaking all kinds of laws. I mean, they had some harsh correction, slavery, you know, disbandment, starting over. I mean, he would just come in and wreck everything and say, I'm doing this because you were disobedient. And no matter how much he would do because of their disobedience, it never got them holistically moving upwards from where they had fallen. It's like they just continued to fall. Right? Just... Some people, uh, but you're still falling. <coughs> like a slow decline. By the time we get to Malachi, <coughs> there's no prophets talking. The tribes have been dispersed. They tried to come back to rebuild the temple, but that was very lackluster. Most of the tribes didn't even show back up. They just stayed in Babylon because why are we going to go over there? It is hard over there. I got to start all over. It is terrible. No, thank you. Going over there, what, just so I could worship God? I could worship God from anywhere. I ain't got to go to church. I could do that from here. Right? No, no, that's too, that's too much of an inconvenience. But this is more than inconvenience. It's harder than a family. I got kids. I got a wife. I got to take all these people down here, and there ain't no real medical services down there. Ain't no good hospitals and doctors down there. You know, I mean, this, that's. So the idea of the entire nation being together was still not happening. Now that they were free to worship, they couldn't quite get together as a nation. Right? It's the truth. And then when they started getting together religiously and the temple was being rebuilt and it was more people were coming in, they still weren't free as a nation. So now they had the religion and the faith and the worship, but you're under Roman rule. So by the time Luke shows up, the children of Israel are worshiping. They have huge uh, temples. Big, I mean, it's glorious, okay? The Israel people got money, all right? They is doing good, all right? They got temples everywhere, not just one. You can go to this region, they got a temple. You go to that region, they got a temple. It's temples all over. Every corner is a temple. Sound familiar? They, they ain't being killed, ran out, enslaved. No, they making decisions. They, they successful, all right? They got money coming in. It's a whole organization, all right? Deep pockets. Right? And Jesus is, John the Baptist and Jesus is about to show up. If you look at this, there were people, when Jesus is born, he goes into the temple and there's a, a, a widow and a, a very righteous man and a prophet that are waiting to see this baby Jesus because God had told them when you see him, you know, you'll know. And one, one of them said, you, you can go ahead and go home to be with the father at that point. But there were people that are waiting and longing for Jesus to show up. Why? It would seem as if everything they could possibly want, they had. Temples in every region, 
a thriving political and theological schools and seminars. I mean, they, they even had, they even looked like other nations, other people groups. They were thriving, right? But somebody somewhere was constantly saying, but we want Jesus. Nah, but we want Jesus. John the Baptist shows up and is born in order to say to the people of Israel, anybody else want Jesus? Anybody else want him? Because he's about to show up. Right now, let's look at John the Baptist's birth. Okay. And John the Baptist's birth, you have to recognize that things started moving speedily at this point. It went from 400 years of silence, right, to everything is happening fast. John the Baptist was prophesied that he was going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. Based off of the amount of time that we've been seeing, just dragging on like a tortoise, right? John the Baptist show up, then maybe he'll die, and then the forerunner Jesus will come up. That's not what happened. Jesus was born within months of John the Baptist. I'm here to prepare all the people. All right, he's here. What? <laughs> it happened like that. No, really. Y'all better people get ready. Jesus is coming, and he's here. All right, too late. <laughs> here he is. I hope you're ready. Hope your heart's ready, because he's showing up. They had a short period of time in comparison to how long the time of the law was, how long the 400 years of silence was, they had a minute period of time to get their hearts right to see Jesus. Because when Jesus showed up physically, he was still telling everybody about themselves. His appearance revealed what was in the hearts of man. As a matter of fact, one of the people, when Jesus went to the temple as a baby and they presented him for circumcision, one of the people, said, one of the people told his mama, Mary, this man is going to be set up for the fall. But he's going to be used for the fall and rising of many Israelites. Right? And your heart will be pierced through this process that the hearts of others might be revealed. That's what the man told Mary when Jesus was born. Like God is going to really, the father, he... My heart goes out to you because it's going to hurt you. You're going to experience grief on this most glorious day. For one reason alone, that it might finally be seen where people's real hearts are. You're going to see what you really got going on on the insides. So Mary and Jesus, y'all about to go through it. Can you imagine having your baby bundle of joy and somebody telling you, in essence, well, he about to die a horrible death, and it's going to hurt you? No. Number one, that's not what you tell me on the day that he's being named and circumcised. My baby is healthy. Shut up. <laughs> but she said she held it in her heart. And somebody else came and prophesied. She held that in her heart. Somebody else said, and, and all of these things were just carried in the heart of Mary. One thing that was a glorious thing for everybody else was just the, the realization of what this gift meant and the preparation that it will be taken from her. Merry Christmas. It's a glorious day for some and a painful reminder of others. But that is the nature 
of days like today. Trying to change it to be what it's not is, is silly because that's the way he designed it. So the hearts of many could be revealed. Now let's see. Let's see what you really got going on. Oh, Jesus, the reason for the season, is he? Let's see. Let's see. Nah, you know, it's God first, then family. Is it? Is it God first, then family? Let's see. No, no, no. Let's see. Make sense? Now, if you're going to say, but it's Christmas, right? Like, I'm making a special, it's normally God first and family, but it's Christmas. If the idea of why you're abandoning or, or relaxing your God first and family is because it's Christmas, then because it's Christmas, you should not be lax in God versus family. Make sense? <coughs> so if Christmas has the preeminence of why you can switch up because it's Christmas, then Christmas should also have the preeminence of why you should not take down, per se. Do you understand? And invite your family to come worship on this most glorious day where the time the world gives us off to celebrate Jesus' birth actually happens where we can actually be in the house of God. Okay, all right, let's move on. Yes? So birth of John the Baptist. In the days, this is chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Somebody say a priest. Of the division of Abjah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Somebody say a priestess. She wasn't a priestess, but she was the daughter of a priest. Right? Her daddy was a priest. Somebody was a priest. She's, she was very, both of these people was in the lineage of a priest. Okay? And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So first, I want to highlight the idea that John the Baptist's parents were both of a priestly line, not prophet. Okay, there's priest, priest, prophet, and king. All right, those are the three categories. He was of the priestly line, all, both his parents, right? And they were old, advanced in years. She never had any kids. She was barren, right? When we get to first, uh, chapter 5, verse, what did I say, chapter 5, verse 7? I mean, chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, is that where I was? It turns out, I'll give you the short inversion, that while Zechariah was on his shift of priestly duties, that the lot fell on him to go inside the temple and light the incense. You know, they, they alternated based off of the will of God that was cast by lots. So it was, he had to go into the temple to burn the incense. Everybody else had to stay outside and pray and worship. Zacharias goes in, right, and he notices, excuse me, Zechariah goes in, and he notices an angel of the Lord standing to the right of the altar, shining, brilliant and bright. Now, number one, ain't no man in here or allowed in here without dropping dead. So how you get in here and you was not me, that's number one. Number two, you definitely look like an angel. All right? So if the fact, though, he saw an angel inside. The angel tells him, Zechariah, the Lord has heard your cry, your prayer, 
and you're going to have a kid, right? They just said, don't be afraid in verse 13, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Stop right there. What does John mean? Nothing in particular. Technically, this boy's name was supposed to be Zachariah. Lil' Zach. That's what they were supposed to be calling him. Zach Jr. His mama's family's a priest. His daddy's family a priest. What do you think he's supposed to be? A priest? A priest? He's the firstborn? It is Zach Jr. Right? You're going to take over your father's uh, business and what he does for a living? which is a priest. This name, John, just messed all of that up. And we're going to name him John. <laughs> it ain't even like an Ishmael or something that has some kind of real devout meaning because he is the God of salvation. You know, just, no, just John. Call him Bob. What? What? <laughs> right <laughs> he says and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine nor strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb then we get to our verse and, we will, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will grow before uh, go before the spirit go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the people, the Lord, uh, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's going to, your, your son's going to be amazing. He's going to be so amazing, we're going to call him John. And <laughs> people are going to rejoice because he's going to be so great that he is going to prepare the hearts of people. That when the Messiah shows up, they will know him and be his people. In essence, your son is about to be the chief of the biggest revival that this world has ever seen and the most needed revival ever. Apparently, with all these temples and all this prosperity and all this availability and ease of worship, there is something that is still turning the hearts of people even though it's prevalent everywhere. Is this Christmas? Is this Christmas, though, with all the availability of online worship and all the availability of Zooming and, 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 and watching in advance and, and, and a recording and a, and a podcast, and, and you can have Jesus anytime you want him. You can get a word from the Lord. You can fellowship digitally. You don't have to be in person. It is however you want it. Have it your way because church is being done whatever way you need it, whatever way makes it easier for you. And with all of that ease, the hearts of the people have not turned toward the Father. I wonder if there's a correlation between the ease of worship and the turning of a, of a person's heart. Could it be that God knew in his most infinite wisdom that the more challenging the worship, the more you value it, and the more you value it, the more you will preserve it? With the ease of voting, voter turnout is, is a struggle. But when we couldn't have it, oh, people would die for it. Yeah. 
I'm not just talking about Christians. I'm talking about humanity in general. Does God in his infinite wisdom know the structure of man? To know that church is always available anytime you need it means that you don't have to come this Sunday. You'll catch it next Sunday. You don't have to go now. You'll catch it again. Not recognizing that God has a specific time that he expects people to be prepared. It's a very short window of preparation. Now, for you, but that's not fair because I was getting ready to come, and that's not fair. You know, you know how many people I know have missed a season in this house of word that was preached, but their hearts were not in a place to receive it, and thus they're still in the same situation that I preached about that they could have been out of? Jesus. Only thing I can say, oh, I wish you were really in a better place last year on that. I really wish your heart was ready to receive that because that's what we talked about. I was there, yeah, but your heart was not ready to receive it. You were present, you sat in the seat, but you were not prepared to receive what the Lord wanted you to receive. So now you keep coming back like, what's wrong with me? What do you think is wrong with you? There was a season that you were not in place for. What happened to me? What do you think happened to you? Life. Life happened to you. And you did not have enough power of the Spirit of God to maintain the course with Christ. Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? This verse, I love it because he says, the hearts of the father will turn to the children. The preparation of receiving the father, the Messiah, the preparation of receiving salvation is when father's hearts turn towards children. Now, is this as a quote from Malachi? Malachi uses both. Malachi says that the hearts of the fathers turn to the children and the hearts of the children turn to the fathers. Then it goes on about, you know, the spirit of Elijah. But this particular verse, when it is being quoted, leaves off and the children's hearts turn to the father. And it specifies that the father's hearts have to be turned to the children. This perplexed me as the Holy Spirit illuminated like why number one why you use the rest of it which means you didn't use the rest as a quote because you wanted me to see one thing a specific timing of preparation that involves father's hearts turning towards children now children's hearts turning to the father makes sense because children can be wayward right and they could go off course thinking they know something, right? And then they have to come learn the hard way and be like, oh, my daddy, my they knew best, right? And then they go back to the wisdom of their fathers. Children turning back to their fathers makes sense. But what do fathers have to turn their hearts to children for? Now, off the top, some of you are already in marriages. Some of you are already in baby daddy, baby mama situations where it is obvious to you how a father's heart could not be turned to their children. Very obvious, very obvious. No, they're present, but hearts not really turned. They're doing things, but hearts not really seeing that child. They're sending money, but hearts not really, hello? Don't act. So apparently, as the degradation of faith continues there becomes a separation that is obvious in family where fathers do not see their actual children 
They become a mouth to feed, a responsibility. They're only good if they benefit me. Do you make me proud? Can I live out my dreams through you? And if not, uh, nah, your mama give me too much heartache. Uh -uh. It's too much drama. I'm out. It's too difficult. I'm done. Right? But if a father saw the value of a child, there should be no mountain they won't climb, no valley they won't go through to make sure that they see their children. At least that's what we hope for, don't we? Some of you don't have it, and some of you did not have it when you were growing up. Could there be a connection in that? Now, Zechariah, oh, she made it. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Right? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So Elijah, once the, the, the angel says, you're going to have a child. It's going to be amazing. You're gonna, it's it's going to be wonderful. Your prayers have been answered. He's going to be great. He's going to be used by God. Then Zechariah comes back and says, but what sign are you going to give me that I will know that this is, this is going to happen? Because we real old. That seems reasonable. In the past, God has given signs. Has he not? Right? Okay. So the angel of the Lord answered him. Are you there? Verse 19. He said, how shall I know? What sign are you going to give me? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. See, maybe you didn't read it with such veracity as I just did. But when you read the next sentence, you can then tell that that was supposed to have some veracity. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Oh, see, now you wreck. He, he went off. Snapped. The angel of the Lord. He snapped. It is said that God then told the angel of the Lord, then you do this. He said, uh-uh. I know how to fix this. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> Once I silence you, I don't have to worry about this. Right? Gabriel told him, oh, see, you don't believe. Now, I'm thinking, not that he didn't believe. It's just that he wanted. <laughs> but let's look at this carefully. Zachariah said, but I need a sign to let me know that this is really going to happen. Gabriel said, I am your sign. You are looking at an angel right now. I came from the presence of the Lord down here to tell you something. You need another sign? He currently has a sign. And all your years, Zachariah, has this ever happened before? No. I even told you what you've been praying for God about. Ooh, word of prophecy. Still not a big enough sign, is it, huh? Because while he was saying, what can I know? What can you give me that I might know? It wasn't about his knowing. But rather, it was about what, uh, what proof he would have for other people. Y'all don't want to help me, hit priest, today. I need you to give me something because when I step out here and start talking about how my wife is pregnant, as old as she is, people are going to think we have lost our minds. 
if I walk out here with this, people gonna think I went crazy. If I go out here with this, people gonna think I ain't got no good sense. If I act like this, people gonna think I done, I done went too far in God. If I start doing this, what are you gonna give me that people might know that I'm not losing my mind, but I'm actually fulfilling what you told me. You have to give me something because I'm not gonna go out here looking stupid. See, 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 how you, see what you miss with John the Baptist? See what you miss? You don't understand Jesus unless you understand who he decided to be intertwined with. Zechariah said, no, you have to, no, we old. People going to really think we see now at this point. Look at him. That was on day pregnant. <laughs> no, you don't need a sign for your belief. I know it because I'm standing right in front of you, the angel says. You need a sign to take with you. Some parting of the Red Sea. Some display. Something that people might know you really did hear from the Lord. Because you ain't going to go out here just talking about, you know, what God is getting ready to do. Because you're in a position that you could lose everything. You could lose your position. It's been in your family. Y'all, all y'all family been priests. You could lose everything trying to fulfill this thing that God said. So you have to give me some proof. Like, can you tell me in advance that I got the job? Can you tell me in advance that this is going to work out? Like, can you show me this? Like, give me that then. Gabriel called it. You don't believe. You believe enough to hold it quietly in yourself. But you don't believe to the extent to broadcast it. Oh, could it be that there's levels of belief? Like, I'll sit on this chair, and it will hold me. But I'm definitely not going to get on the top of that bridge on that little string. Nope. Nope. Why? Because, number one, if I fall, that's a long way to fall. It's a short way to fall. But do you believe it can hold you? I believe what you're telling me. I could see physics-wise, you know, it, it could do something. All right, get out there. Uh-uh, I ain't putting all that on it. I ain't going to give up my entire storage. I'm not going to completely walk away from that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go put all of that on it in essence. And Gabriel knew it. The amount of belief that is required for this blessing you don't have. I came down here to give you good news. To tell you how what God is going to use you for and your children's children. And you don't even have enough preparedness in yourself to receive this and bear it. So just so you don't mess it up, I'm going to silence your mouth. Just so you don't say nothing stupid, I'm going to hang up the phone. Just before you get out of pocket... I'm going to tell you to shut up. Because it's already been revealed that you don't have enough faith to carry this blessing. But God has chosen you and Elizabeth. So while this sucks, it might help you. Shut your mouth. You've been silenced. Right? He comes out of the temple and he can't talk. And so they like, why was you in there so long? He's like, he has to like gesture. 
He has to gesture to get people to understand. And they recognize, okay, something about, I think he saw a vision. I think, what do you think? I think he said. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the rest of it is, but something about an angel maybe? An angel appeared? Can you know how frustrating that could be? To know something and can't talk? To have feelings and thoughts to me, that's the worst prison ever. But he's silenced, can't say nothing. His wife knows, and when she tells, he can tell his wife what the angel said, she goes and hides herself for five months. Right? Look at this. Verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Stop right there. Elizabeth was excited. Now, I can't really say, you know, as a fact, but what I understand about people is if you would talk out of the side of your neck to God and God's representatives, You've been talking out the side of your neck to everybody. If you have no control over God and the angel of the house, you have no control with anybody. This didn't just happen because of the circumstance. You've been this type of person all along. Because if anybody wanted to be quiet and humble, and receptive, it should be with God and the angel of the house. That's why the Bible calls pastors the angels of the house, just in case you wanted to know why I'm looking like that. But if you can't even hush your mouth between God and the angel of the house, you've got a real big problem. And I wonder if his mouth has been getting him in trouble with his wife. I wonder if he's been saying things that just make this barren situation a little bit worse. I wonder if she came to him and said, babe, they told me that we could try, like you go and if I go and bathe in cold water, then I come back right after that, then we could, girl, that ain't gonna work. Like who you know said they did that? Cause you know, I just know people. And if you're doing it at this moment, you've been doing this. You've been doing stuff like this. Now she's very receptive. She's like, hallelujah. <laughs> Say less. Say less. Oh, this God's about to bless me. He over there. She's like, what you say? Hmm? God's going to bless me? That's what I thought. He about to bless us. You know, just. Now she is running everything at this point. Because <laughs> he's been silenced. <laughs> For five months, she hides herself. Now I want you to look at what she says, which is very key. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What does the word reproach mean? We hear it a lot. Huh? Don't we, we hear it. We hear it. We, we hear it a lot. The word reproach defines the idea that you have been corrected or disapproved of. Something you've done is disapproving and people are correcting and critiquing it. That's what it means to bear reproach. 
It's like somebody saying, she still ain't got no kids. I told her she need to stop wearing them too tight pantyhose. That's why she still ain't got no kids. Like everybody is coming up with why and what you've done and what you need to change that God might bless you. You're under reproach. People are evaluating what has gotten you into this situation. You're bearing reproach. Do you understand? What you're currently in is displeasing and nobody wants it. You don't want it. So now everyone is critiquing what you have done to get you into this place. Well, I told her, you know, that's what happened when you, well, that's what happened when you, and everybody is, now you're, you're under reproach. And so Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this to take away my reproach. But how did that take away your reproach? Well, think about it. If Elizabeth has a child now, then it will be evident that the only reason she has not had children before then was because it was the will of the Father. Oh, oh. Not something she's done wrong. Not because she hasn't lived right. Not because she went to left when she should have went right. If God blesses her with a child, the side note is that he will now lift the reproach off of her because everybody will see that she was right where she needed to be the entire time and God was just using her for this boy named John. Hello? Oh, interesting, isn't it? Uh, look at, uh, where is that other verse at? Romans. Go there right quick. Romans chapter 15, verse 3. Keep your finger in Luke because we're going to come back. Romans chapter 15, verse 3. It says in the book of Romans, Paul writes, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Y'all don't. Is this Christmas? Paul says about Jesus that when reproach is lifted, Christ says that the only reason that this person is in the situation that they're in is that I might be a saving grace to them. And he bears the reproach. He bears your sin. He bears it all and says, no, nah, it was all part of my plan. For every person that asks for forgiveness and belief in Jesus Christ, he then bears the reproach by saving you and thus telling everybody this was always a part of my plan. Behold, I, for those that love me and are caught according to my purpose, I work all things together for the good. This was always a part of my plan. He just lifts the reproach. You, they might have, they did it wrong. Ah, it was always part of my plan. They should have got married over here. Nope, it was always part of my plan. They shouldn't have been sleeping over here. Nope, it was always part of my plan. You cannot tell me it was not part of my plan because look at the miracle that I have done. Look what I did. Can't tell me this wasn't my plan. Look what I've done. What you going to say then? Nothing. That's the power that you're saved by. How he bears the reproach. When everybody else is critiquing all the things that you did wrong 
which explains why you in a certain particular situation. The salvation of Christ says, nah, that ain't why they in that situation. They're in that situation because I wanted to use somebody that had to come from that. I wanted to use somebody that needed to be delivered from that. I wanted to use somebody that had understanding of this. I wanted to use a marriage. I wanted to use a singleness. I wanted to use a baby daddy, a baby mama. I wanted to use somebody that was gay. I wanted to use somebody that was straight. I wanted to use somebody that was on drugs. I wanted to use somebody that was a thug. I wanted to use that person. And the proof is this miracle that I have done. Is it Christmas? Y'all don't know if y'all act like it's Christmas. <laughs> Some of y'all been naughty when you should have been nice. <laughs> now the, the Christmas miracle it's running right past you. You don't even know why people excited. Here, get. I don't know. Hey Amen. I, I don't know. <laughs> we ain't gonna say something I understand. <laughs> something I can get with. Tell me how the Lord about to bless me. <laughs> Tell me how this is a new year for all my blessings. No, nope, not gonna say that. I think there's enough people out there for that. Okay, you came to. We, we do things a little different. We actually have church on Christmas Day. <laughs> I'm supposed to read the Christmas story and tell y'all to go home. But I ain't. What you gonna do, sue me? You gonna dock my pay? Until <laughs> you start doing what the board of directors say, we are not giving you a salary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You have nothing to bribe me to say what you want. You have nothing to take away so I would say what you want. In essence, you have to realize that what I'm saying is what God decided to give to you. And then you need to wonder, why did he decide to give something so precious to you? Why did he send his angel down with this bearing of good news for you? When there's thousands of people out here that ain't even got that, what makes you so special? Not only do you, did you get the message, you actually hear and understand it. That means there had to be some preparation taking place to get you to be able to hear and understand what it is I'm talking about as it relates to reproach. The gift of God to say it was all a part of my plan. That made me feel so good because I really think I just messed this whole thing up. I got you, I got you, I got you. I thought I really jacked this up and it's just going to have to, woo-wee. Don't worry about it, I got it. You got all of this? I got all of that. But what about this? Because this was some real stuff. I'm still bearing scars from that. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's all going to work out. I got it. I got it. But I know I should have done better. Shh. Don't worry about it. I kind of knew you wasn't going to do better. It was a possibility of that. And I prepared something in advance. I knew it was a possibility you was going left when I told you 50 million times to go right. I knew it was a possibility. I didn't want it to happen, but don't worry. I got you. I got you. Merry Christmas. I got you. <laughs> Is it Christmas? Because it don't seem like to me there's enough people excited about what really showed up. Like this, this is what you got. You got this. Took all this mess and said, it's mine. I got it. I was working it all for my good. And we'll tell that in the face of your enemies. 
that will tell it to the people that hate you, to the demonic spirits that talk about you, the people that always doubted you, that second-guessed you. He will tell it right to their face. No, I always had them, been had them, they've been called. I always wanted them from the birth. You wanted them from the birth, from the birth. What was all of this? My plan. And you can't doubt it when you see the miracle. Sit on down. It's Christmas. But I ain't been going to church in a month of Sundays. It's part of my plan. Every time I try to come to church, something went wrong. It's part of my plan. It's part of my plan. This is what it means when he says, I bear your reproach. He says, the people that criticize you for how your life is turning out, I will bear that. Their life is turning out that way because that's what I wanted to do with them, and they're a willing enough servant to allow me to do it. Wow. You're like, was I willing? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> He's been in the background like, thanks. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, no, I ain't go. Just, woo, woo. I'm with him. <laughs> Just over there. Now you're real humble. Mm -hmm, yes. <laughs> ain't nobody proud for that day. Oh, yes. Oh. oh, yes, 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 yes. Part of his plan. <laughs> Woo. It's part of his plan. It's part of his plan. <laughs> I ain't gonna say nothing. I ain't gonna say nothing. If that's what he got, if he says it's part of his plan, it's part of his plan. I'm just gonna go with that. I ain't gonna, they ain't, gonna, ain't nobody asking me nothing. Ain't nobody asking me no question. They asking him questions. The man says it's part of the plan. It's part of the plan. <laughs> Instant humility. <laughs> ain't nobody talking about how great they are now. <laughs> that's why self righteousness is so horrible. It doesn't allow God to bear your reproach. Right? What about all the stuff they did wrong? Here you go in the background. I ain't do nothing wrong. What the? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah, everything they did wrong is a part of my plan. Even that time they slept with such and such, it was always a part of my plan. I mean, number one, I wasn't even that wrong when you compare. See? See how self-righteousness look? See how self-righteousness look? We over here trying to say it's all about to work together. And you over here saying, hey, it wasn't that really that bad and how you kind of had it under control. You was. Pretty much. Just silence. Just silence. But I'm just saying, see, everything you're saying is wrong. Because everything in your heart is wrong. And everything that you're understanding, you understand it incorrectly. So considering we don't have time to deal with your heart right now in the midst of our enemy, I'm just going to shut your mouth. Just shut your mouth before you mess this up. Elizabeth, she's excited. She goes and hides herself from people. She was smart. Because there's a point in pregnancy where you're not really sure if you're pregnant. And if you go around telling people at 75 years old, I'm pregnant. Somebody need to put her in a home now. She done lost her mind. She over here buying baby clothes. Talking about she pregnant. Mm-mm. Somebody need to get your grandmama. Get your grandmama. Something ain't right. Something ain't right. 
So she was smart. She's like, I ain't got time to be trying to worry about what people's thinking and saying. What I'm going to do is I'm just go behind here with me and the Lord. And she hid herself with God for five months. Can you imagine how quiet it was since her husband is on silence? This is the best kind of lockdown ever. Shh. Are you hungry? Oh, you don't know. I can't hear you. Well, just tell me if you're hungry. I'll make you something. <laughs> nope. Okay, well, I guess I'll cook when I'm hungry. <laughs> and you ain't got no kids, so it's real quiet. Uh, good morning. <laughs> oh, gosh. Where was I? Chapter. <laughs> So after these days, Elizabeth, she conceived, and she hid herself for five months, right? In the sixth month, this is verse 26, the same angel, Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What? I didn't see anything too, too bad about what he said. Greetings, O favored one, plus and plus, okay. The Lord is with you, plus. I These are all good things, don't you think? Am I, am I reading this right? But she was greatly troubled at what he said and tried to figure out what, what sort of greeting is this? Why is you greeting me like this? What is getting ready to go down? Now the reason she's thinking this is because anytime that an angel tells a person the Lord is with you, it's about to be a fight. Something's about to go down. Greetings, old favored one. The Lord is with you. What? What, what, you, what you mean the Lord is with you? Oh, oh no. Oh, Lord. <laughs> there are times in my life where I would feel an overwhelming amount of the spirit of the Lord. And I'd be like, ooh, wait a minute. Like now when I, when I, when the present Lord just show up out of nowhere and I wasn't lacking nothing, I didn't need nothing. And then I'm just, whoo, my God, I'm just, shalala, shalala, get done and be like, wait a minute. What's, why is, why is, why is you with me? I mean, I know you with me, but why is you with me? <laughs> What's this for? <laughs> Go ahead and tell me now, Pre prepare me now. See, this is different than fear. See, you guys go, what's getting ready to happen? And there's no presence of the Lord, just the presence of Satan. I'm saying when you have an encounter with God and you feel pumped up, ready to go, who wanted with lean, all these demons about to go down. And you be like, oh, it's about to happen. You want me to use me for something? Who, who, about, who about to fight? Y'all be like, oh, what's going to fall apart now? Two different things. Two different things. Two different souls, two different spirits, two, two different lifestyles. Do you understand? And two different encounters with spirits. 
One was the spirit of God, and the other was spirit of fear, worry, and anxiety. That's who you were visited by. That's why you feel the way you feel. Hello? So she tried to discern, why are you greeting me like this? <laughs> and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and we will be called the son of the most high God. Now, did you, did you see this? Again, she's getting ready to have a son, right? It's three months after, no, one month after uh, Elizabeth's encounter, right? Yeah, one month after she was hiding for five months. So this is six months after Elizabeth's conception, right? Now, she's been visited by the same angel telling her, you about to have a baby. And she's like, what? You're in your womb, you're going to have a child. Uh, and she goes on, I don't understand how this can happen since I'm a virgin. But you're going to call his name Jesus. Now, this is the second time the angel has told somebody to name a baby that had not been born yet. Check the record. In most all other occurrences, when God names people, it's either a name to a child that is already in the making or a changing of name to individuals. There's only three people in the whole Bible that God names and names them before they're actually conceived. Do you know who these three people are? Can you name two? John the Baptist and Jesus. Excellent. Good job. The third is Isaac. Ah, we won't have time to go into that. That's a whole lovely story. That's a whole other message in another series but another time. But Isaac was the other. All right. So out of all the people that God named, he named a lot of people. He changed a lot of names. Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarah, you know. <laughs> uh, what, uh, Peter to, to si Simon to Peter. I mean, Paul to Saul, Abram to Abraham. You know, he just named, some other people he named names, you, you shall call him Jehovah Knachich, because he is the Lord of you, you know. And he started giving out names. You're going to have a daughter. You're going to name her Bethlehem, you know, and it is, because this is what she represents. But the child was already here. He was using what was already being done. And when he changed names, he was using people and putting that name and that role on the people that I already made. There's only three occurrences where he said, I'm going to make this individual specifically for this purpose. And I'm going to tell you before they even get here. Called from the womb. Designed. This is a shift in covenant practices. And if you look at the story of Isaac, the only other occurrence that this happened, apparently this is the nature of the sons of God. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Who was Abraham's first son? Okay, there you go. So apparently, if Ab the covenant is with the father Abraham, then this is the means and methods of the sons that they are called before they arrive. Many are called, few are chosen. Hello, somebody. To those that love God and are called according to his purpose. When did that calling take place? Before you got here. Which is why it's such a travesty and deserving of hell when you decide to abandon the one thing that you were brought here for. 
You done made a whole other life rather than the one I brought you here for. What, because you wanted some money? What, because you was lonely? Hello? Go to verse 50 of chapter 1. This is a song of worship that Mary sang. But I want you to look at this one line. We're not quite there yet, but I want you to look at this line. It says, and his mercy is on them that, and his mercy is on them that, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. I looked at this, and I said, I could, you can run right by it, right? But how many people clout, claim that they have the mercy of the Father? But his mercy is only given to those that fear him. From generation to generation. It means every time somebody new is born, this rule still apply. The new mercies I see is for those that fear him. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life for those that fear him. I can't help who I love. So you want mercy because you fell in love with somebody you weren't supposed to fall in love with. But mercy is given to those that fear him. If you even think that God told you not to do that, then where's the fear of the Lord? Hello, somebody. You know when your mama used to make, put fear in your heart? I ain't doing that, mama. My mama kill me. Ha! Huh, fear. Some things you'll try, other things, uh, the consequence of that is far too great. Mercy is given to those that fear the Lord. You need to understand that because you've been talking about mercy and you have no fear of God. You still do whatever the heck you want to do the way you want to do it. You say what you want to say, act the way you want to act, move the way you want to move, and you, and, and you expect that the mercy of God should be upon you. No, you just get regular stuff. Like, whatever he's doing, it rains on the just and unjust alike. That's what you're getting. Mercy is not given unless you fear God. You can't keep doing the same mistake and being like, oh, thanks God for the mercy. Thank you for the mercy. No, no, no. You ain't afraid? You don't be like, oh, he, well, I don't want to mess him up. I want to be. I don't want to get this wrong with God now. Uh 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 uh. No 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 no. Why? Cause I need mercy. I've done enough dirt. I need mercy. And some people have done so much wrong that they don't ever want to mess up like that again. So you ain't got to worry about them. They good on that. Cause I need His mercy to cover all the rest of these y'all. Got a whole line of history and stuff. I'm going to need his mercy on that. So you have the fear of the Lord. I just want to highlight that for this generation because it's something that we're missing. We claim his mercy, but we don't have any fear of the Lord. You play with him. You play with what he says. You play what he tells you to do. You play with the instructions. You play with his blessings and his curses. You play with it all. Okay. Just one. Sorry, just, let's go back to the, to the narrative. <laughs> All right, where was I? So Elizabeth went, hit herself, right? Yes? 
and then Gabriel went to go visit Mary, right? He says, hell, and the angel came right there. Now, right? You with me? He said, and behold, now watch this, your relative, Elizabeth, they related, in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary says, behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, that's how you're supposed to do it. Zachariah, that's how it's supposed to be done. All right? Angel show up. This is about to go down. This sounds right when I'm thinking, this is impossible. He say, nothing's impossible. Okay, I guess nothing is impossible. Because <laughs> as soon as you tell me you're about to have a child without having sex, I'll be like, that is impossible. If you came and told me, Pastor, I had this baby, but I had no sex, that's impossible. First thing at the top of my head, right? And just as, as an answer to that, nothing is impossible with God. Now look at what God is proclaiming to her that is getting ready to go down. <coughs> hey, your cousin, your relative, technically it would be, yeah, distant sisters, Elizabeth, the one that everybody knew she was bearing all her life, and she's real old now. She got a child. She's six months pregnant. What? I'm just telling you. I mean, we ain't seen her in months and months and months. I mean, ain't, she just dropped off the face of the earth. She pregnant. Nah. Nothing shall be impossible with God. So he connects what God is getting ready to do in her virgin body with what he was able to do in a barren body. He, he brought them both together. I'm going to choose your relative because I'm, she's barren, and I'm going to show you how I can take something that is fruitless, that bears no fruit, and I can put fruit in it when everybody says it's past time. Right? And now I'm going to also tell you who never had an opportunity, never have an opportunity to bear fruit, that you can bear fruit. It's two miracles about to go down. Somebody that had all the opportunity, but it always failed. And somebody who never had the opportunity and it just showed up. I can't preach this no better. Is this Christmas? I know y'all ready to go home. You can go on home. I dismiss you in Jesus' name, but I'm going to preach to all the angels that decided to show up. Hello? I'm about to do it. This person, every time she tried it, it failed. And this one, she ain't never even got the opportunity and just showed up. You ain't even go through the process, the procedures necessary for this miracle, and you still have this, a child of God on the inside of you. Hello? What I want to reveal here is the idea that God is trying to show salvation. Duh, right? But he's showing the salvation of the Jew, and he's showing the salvation of the Gentile. Y'all don't want to help me here. 
You remember how I said it was all of Israel's history that they were fruitless. All of Israel's history that they always seem to have one and not the other. A nation and no worship. A worship and no nation. And it seemed like they could never just have it at the right time. The sperm and the egg could never be at the right time, at the right moment. And it just seems like it's always off. To the point where this thing is dead. The womb is out. The womb is bad. Now everything you're producing is, is, is no life. Church is everywhere, but no believers. Service is at your access, but no dedication. Words, constantly streaming, but no fortitude, no faithfulness, no endurance. The more we give you the options, the less you do. The easier we, the more convenient we make it, the less you show up. What, is, what are we going to do with this womb? It cannot still produce strong children of God. It can't still produce Israelites that see and bear witness to the Messiah. And he says, oh, but it will. How? Through John. John is going to go into this womb and prepare it. Y'all don't want to help me preach. He's going to prepare this, this womb of Israel. He's going to call those that want to be prepared for the Lord. Repent! For the Lord is on his way. Now, Mary, you got a whole other situation. Now, seriously, John the Baptist represents Israel. His father was a priest. His mama was a priest. He was born of Israeli seed, Jewish lineage. The promise of the Messiah belongs to him because he is a fruit of that lineage. Mary has zero amount of that seed in her belly. There is no genetic connection to the God of Abraham. There's no vessel pre-made in advance to hold the children of Israel in her. No seed given to her. And then what does the Father do? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And where there was no spirit of God, a spirit of God will be in you. Miraculously, you will have none of the genetic history, none of the bloodline, none of the years and years and years of serving and worshiping God. But I will put that right in your belly. Everything that is needed to have me, you're going to have it. It's going to be there. Don't worry about it. You're going to be just like them. Is this Christmas? Mary represents the Gentile church. And John the Baptist represents the, Israel the Israelis, the Jewish people. Being prepared, a barren womb being prepared for the sons and daughters of God. A virgin womb with no seed, no direction, no claim. Now hosting nothing but the seed of God, the seed of God, the seed of God. Just a beautiful story. Hello? A little meat for the meat eaters. Merkrimah. I want to look at this last thing and I'll let you go home for your Christmas dinner. I mean, what time is it? Yeah, that's about right, Christmas dinner. <laughs> In 
in this story, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth like the next day. She's like, number one, I received it, and I need to see this Elizabeth. <laughs> she shows up six months. She says, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's baby leaps in her belly. And, now, and then Elizabeth starts to prophesy. Y'all don't want to help me. Now the one that is bearing the children of Israel begins to prophesy and agree and declare what they know God is getting ready to do. Now Jews are being born as the sons of God, declaring the Messiah has just arrived. At the sound of Mary's name, John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Ghost in the belly of Elizabeth, and she is overtaken and begins to prophesy. She writes a whole, she writes a whole, she said, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? You know, you know I carry the Lord. You the mother of the Lord. Where did you get that from? The Holy Spirit. When you said hello, my belly jumped. I hadn't had no sign that I was truly pregnant. Nothing was moving, and then we heard your voice. Come, feel, feel him kicking, feel him kicking. But she was barren. Look at all the gray hair you got. Feel him, feel him. Feel that? So why is the, the mother of my Lord here? You know? Some heavy stuff going down. <laughs> and Mary stays there for three months. She stays there for three months. She's there for the birth of John the Baptist. And she's there and she conceives by the power of the Holy Ghost, the Christ, in that home. Amongst another believer that saw God do an impossible thing. That's the part I don't understand. You know that God has to lift the reproach off your life. You know that he needs to do a miracle, right? that is beyond you, that will lift what everybody done said, lift what everybody's trying to calculate and critique, and you know he needs to do it, and yet you cannot find yourself in the house of God consistently for three months. And you don't know why these things are still associated with you. What have you done? I don't remember you coming to me, a midwife, telling me that God was, and then you were constantly here encouraging and prophesying one to another about what God is doing and how God is doing it. All I get is when you finally done hit your foot again, done fell low again, I got to give you a word of encouragement that only gets you off the ground, but not enough to actually get a seed in your belly. You need it lifted. You need to bear what God called you to bear. You need to have fruit of what God made you for. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, needed to be around someone. For three months, she left her betrothed. She left her family. I need to be around somebody that can encourage what I'm doing. I need to see this baby. I need to, I need to be around it. I need to constantly see it. Every day I wake up, I need to know that this is possible. There's nothing wrong with that. There's something wrong with you. Because God has called you to bear something amazing. He called you before you got in your mother's womb. He declared it. 
This is what this person is here. This is what she's here for. This is what he's here to do. And then you come to a church with an active midwife who has a belly that's been popping out babies with no husband. No salary. <laughs> Bearing grief and heartache. Still popping out babies, doing an impossible thing right in front of your eyes, and you don't recognize that no matter where you are, right here is where I need to be so that I can see the fruition of what God has called me to do. I gotta chase you. Will you come to church? You gonna come to church today? You gonna come today? You gonna come today? That's ridiculous. Would you think the world got something for you? You think they're gonna help you? They're gonna help you conceive? Oh, the job gonna help you birth a, a, a very great baby in the Lord. I'm glad that job gonna help you with that. The degree is gonna help you. I got degrees. Christmas. What are you bearing? What is working in your belly? Because if it's Christmas, then the house of God everywhere should be full. Everywhere. We should be busting out of the seams. People should be saying, Pastor, I don't know what we're going to do, but since we're going to be in church, can we all just bring all our food together? He's almost like, yeah. I mean, since we're going to be here anyway, how about everybody, all the family, just bring it in, and then we can just invite, just everybody just come. We do like a potluck for Christmas, everybody. You know why you don't think like that? Because you want to be with you and yours. Ain't nothing wrong with that per se. But what are you bearing? Because you have a short period of time to be prepared. A very short period of time in comparison to eternity. And look how fast God was moving. See, y'all think that when God start doing it kind of slow, that he's going to keep going slow. This woman even had no preparation. Done. Hello? Oh, excuse me. Looking at Mary, who went to Elizabeth's house, who hid herself from other people as she was really dealing with the fruition of what God was saying. She didn't want nobody messing with it. She didn't want nobody speaking nothing ill about it. Don't look like you're pregnant. How are you going to be pregnant? I ain't got time to be fighting in fights. Mm -mm. Me and the Lord, I'm going to sit over here and worship, and it's fine. At some point, she's like, man, I really hope this is... You still can't talk? All right, that's a plus. All right. <laughs> you still mute? All right, this could still be working. But when Mary shows up, it is clear, right? At this time, Mary then conceives, and this is a beautiful situation. Eventually, Mary goes back to Joseph, and Joseph's like, uh, where you been? What you been doing? Now you pregnant? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. You think I'm stupid? <laughs> then Angel Lord got to come visit him. And like, it's cool. It really is. Oh, the Father, please don't put her away. And that whole story, the rest of the story, uh, proceeds. But I want to draw your attention as we go at the type of environment John the Baptist was born into. First of all, he was given a name that completely disassociated him with his family. 
No, let this settle down. Let it settle in your spirit. Huh? He was given a name that said, um, as for this child, it's going to be uniquely different. Let's look at that. Verse 57. And Mary remained there for about three months, and they worshiped and prayed, and it was beautiful. John the Baptist was born. Here, here we go. John the Baptist is about to be born. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and that he would uh, have called him, and they would have called him, what? Zachariah, after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. No, 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 you got to see this. This would indicate that Zacharias was also deaf and mute. <laughs> what sign, <laughs> that joke Gabrielle told me, somebody told me, what sign? What was it? What was if you blind, how do you signal that you're hungry? You just say, you say I'm hungry, you're blind. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, you say you're hungry. You, you signed that you're hungry. <laughs> you're blind. <laughs> but the fact, so this means that the fact that they are signing to him. Your, your wife want to name your boy something else. Hey, Zachariah, wake up. <laughs> this means that he can't hear either. So she running the show. He over here in deaf and dumb spirit. <laughs> in the background, like, oh, I don't know. What's happening? Oh, I guess I kind of understand what's going on. <sighs> I guess she was pregnant. She had that baby. Now, didn't the angel say to him that when this is fulfilled, then you'll be able to speak? This has been fulfilled for eight days. Oh, see, y'all be missing the whole, you ready to go home? I know, I know, I know you ready to go home. He has been, the baby has been here eight days. This means Zechariah still has not been able to talk. It should be, poof, eh. Zechariah, praise the Lord. Nope. Go to bed, wake up. Go to bed, wake up. Go to bed, wake up. And it's quiet. And you got all these feelings. And you can't express them. You can't say nothing. It's hard to even understand what people are trying to give you information. It's hard to understand how they're trying to encourage you. They just walk by and just, what is, what is that? What are you doing? Tell me something. I can't text you. We ain't got no phones. So we're just going to have to, want me to write it. I got to go get tablets. Oh, God. <laughs> It's a whole ordeal. <laughs> Can you write it down? <gasps> I went right on the dirt. <laughs> Eight days of this being fulfilled, and he still can't talk. You get me on day two, I'm panicking. I'm sweating. I'm like, what? <laughs> 
in my mind, I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why is this happening? Okay, now everything else didn't happen. Is, is he mad at me? There is something that God is waiting on to be fulfilled by Zechariah. That it needs to happen so that he can speak and hear. So they motion, uh, Elizabeth was like, no, his name ain't going to be Zachariah. It's going to be John. What? Well, we done lost your mind. Ain't nobody in your whole family named John. We ain't got no Johns in the family. No, we ain't got no Johns in the family. I don't know where she got that from. Zachariah. Hey. Get your wife. Get your wife. <laughs> Zachariah motions for a piece of paper, a tablet, or something to write on. He's like, the baby named John. And instantly he's able to speak. This is how the father's hearts turn to the sons. Aha! This is an example of a father's heart turning to his children. Okay, now let's 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 break, let's let's unpack it some more. Okay, like, yeah, I kind of. Number one, the man's name is now John, not Zechariah. Number two, everything that they prophesy, even Zechariah prophesies about Jesus and his son, John, right? It is told when we get to, go to verse 80, the last verse in the chapter. This is said about John, a whole bunch of things said about John, a whole bunch of things are said about Jesus by Zechariah, who's now able to speak, and he starts, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he starts prophesying, all right? And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Just stop. This little boy's life is nothing like his father and mother's life. His father and mother were a part of a system of church. Come on now. Part of a conglomerate of modern-day church. Come on, y'all don't want to help me. Where church is easily accessible, there are masses, amounts of them. It's a production, it's a show with smoke, fog, lights. We've got programming and this and that, and it's a beautiful organization to be in. And then we have, I have five campuses of this church over there, that church over there, and we all doing the same thing. I mean, this is where John the Baptist was born. His mother and his father are leaders in churches always been leaders his family always been leaders they always been the leaders in every church he was born to a family of pastors and preachers raised in it Zechariah does his temple work right Elizabeth does what she's supposed to do all the time they're doing this now bear in mind they've been serving God all of their lives the two of them independently independently and then together and Zachariah has been serving God all this time, and he never had a kid. The one thing he wanted. And he kept serving God. He kept serving God even when it got to the point that he probably would never have kids. And he was still a faithful servant. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. 
Do you know how hard it is to want something that apparently God does not want you to have and you still have to remain faithful to God? No, you don't know what that's like because you always become unfaithful. You definitely know what it means to want. You know what it means to desire something that you're not sure God wants and it's pretty obvious he don't want you to have it because you ain't got it yet. And when that becomes overwhelming, you backslide. You slide back. You disconnect. You pull back. You blame it on the job. You blame it on the money. You blame it on the marriage. You blame it on the kids. You blame it on everything. But in short, what you want, he's not giving you. And you're tired of wanting it and still serving him. Why I got to keep, my life is already a mess. I'm going to take this church thing out. Hello? Now, I need, I need to get some extra money to work overtime. Sorry, church. Look, if God didn't want me to work overtime, then he wouldn't make sure this worked. But since he didn't make sure it worked, then, oh, well. Yeah, it's in this house. It's in this house. But you want to be a peculiar people. You want to be a church for the latter days. You want to do church differently. You see how this is not working. You see it for yourself. But you don't want to be the ones that actually bear the fruit. Those that serve passionately, even though they're not getting what they want. He was still faithful. And so was she. For years. And when God gave to them what they wanted, it was a big gift. One of the biggest gifts you could ever have apart from Mary's. Big, 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 big gift. But it also came with a really big price. You have to be prepared for the amount of belief that that will require. Now, hear me out. You came from poverty. Check me out. Check me out. You came from the bottom. You came from a situation that most kids should never have to be raised in. That's where you were. Then you desire and hear by God, some prophet told you you're going to be rich. <laughs> you're going to be a millionaire. Your life's going to be great. Right? You automatically know it is hard for a regular person to be wealthy. It is doubly hard for a person that has nothing to be wealthy. Wealthy. And then you want this person that has nothing to be wealthy and to be a strong and faithful believer. This looks like an impossibility. And you know that all odds are stacked against you. But you don't press in to the individuals of God and the word of God that told you you were going to have it. You don't hide yourself with just the word of God and his presence waiting for the maturity of this thing just to get to the point where you could see it for yourself like you can't even stay long enough for you to see it for yourself I know that at certain points in your walk you will be in it so long that I ain't got to tell you to come to church I ain't got to say oh I'm gonna look at your side eye if you don't come to church on Christmas you're like I ain't go I'm coming to church now first I'm, I'm gonna give God what God belong to God I don't have to there's some people I never have to say that to and if by chance they get out of pocket, I just look at them. You're going to do what? Pastor, you, I'm, I'm going to be there. Good job. Good job. Not you, whoever you are. 
You could know that God has called you, but you don't want to work on maturing that thing to the point where you actually can see it. He wants you to see it for yourself and not to take my word for it, but you won't sit put long enough so that you can actually see it for yourself. God is doing something. It is actually happening. I'm actually changing. Look at me. I don't even want that no more. I'm not even doing that no more. I'm not even going. Oh, my God. I got it. I mean, I'm not where I need to be, but. Hello? Nevertheless. Okay. John the Baptist was born in this environment. And Zechariah couldn't speak until he agreed that this baby that God gave him will be raised the way God wanted. No? You missing it? You decided to raise your child the way you always wanted to be raised. You decided to give your child what you never could get. You decided to make sure your child never had to struggle with, have that, blah, 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 blah. blah. You came up with all the methods and plans about what you was going to raise your child with. And you're going to be deaf and dumb until you recognize that baby was supposed to be born the way and raised the way God said. Now look at, look at, some of these kids don't grew up. They used to be strong in the Lord. Now they're over here lying, cheating, ducking, hiding, selfish hearts. What, what happened? You decided to raise them the way you thought. Even when the voice of the Lord said, I don't think that's a good idea. Pastor ain't got no kids. She don't know. I know. I don't, I don't know. You're right. Godspeed. Hello? Pastor, can you talk to my kid? I would love to, but it's very hard for me to talk to them if they're not here. It's really hard for me to build relationship with children that don't see me on a consistent basis, that I might have influence over their lives. Just pray for them. All right. More of the same mess that we got out here. More of the same system. Come on, put them in the system of churches. Come on. Put them in the system of churches. That's what you wanted, apparently. The same kids that go to youth camp, be, be groping on each other, making out at youth practices, and all that kind of, all that foolishness on the games and, and doing all the weird stuff with the, going to people. Didn't, all this, that's, what, that's what's in there. You want the same thing. Because when we try to do something different, you, you don't want to come away from that. Zachariah could not speak until he agreed that John's name was going to be John. More specifically, that he's not going to follow in the footsteps of Zechariah. He's not going to go to temple. He's not going to participate in the hierarchy and the systems. If you're so worried about what people think, you're going to have to conquer that because they're really going to think something because your son is out here being real weird. But since you got picked on about being weird, you're trying to make sure everything that your child do, it look, it look real normal. And just bypass what God called them for. So they could fit in. Because that's the way you wanted to raise them. John the Baptist had to go to the wilderness. You ain't going to the temple. Where, where your son? I heard his son is out there eating fruits and berries and stuff. What are you doing? They say he's communing with God. How you communicate? We... He just doing too much. 
and, and Zachariah got him out here doing too much. Both of them. Just instigating it. that boy doing too much. He ain't going to have no good life if he, if he always in the church. Always in the... In, They're not going to be well-balanced. They're going to be like one of them weird kids always talking about Jesus. But what if that's exactly the reason why God gave them to you? Because you're going to die. And they will remain to carry on the work that you started. One day your work will be done and you can work no more. But if you were blessed to have kids, they are still working everything that you were working. Do you know what that's like? To have somebody to come after you that sees God in the way that you see God, even though you was a part of the system, Zachariah, you could tell your son, son, it's not about that, it's about relationship. Son, it's not about this, it's about repentance. Don't get caught up in that world, that stuff is foolishness. Don't do that. And you, sh- you really push them to understand the, the heart behind the law, so much so that they are walking in their calling to be the forerunner of the actual Christ, the Messiah himself. If you don't see your children having that potential, who will? Who will? Me? You don't even give me that much authority. The hearts of the fathers have to turn to the children. Do you see their potential? Do you see why God gave that child to you at this time in history? Do you see why you went through all that you went through and how that was a part of his plan for that child? Do you see the miracle in this? Do you see him lifting the report? Don't get uncomfortable. Look at me in my eyes. I'm, I'm heated, but I, I'm loving you, okay? <laughs> I was like, <coughs> look away. Too much. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's the truth. What your children need from you more than anything else is that you can identify the calling on their lives. You can tell it to them, you can repeat it to them, you can say it over and over and over again. You can shape them in preparation for that. Well, I don't want to force my baby because when I was forced to go to church, I ain't want to go. Then when I grew up, when you grew up what? I left the church, but where are you now? Back at church. That's interesting. And you're saying that it didn't work? Could you go to church now? I go to church now, but I ain't going to do that to my kids. Really? Maybe the idea of coming to church consistently was needed, but somebody needed to tell you why. That's the part that had to be tweaked. Not for a gold star on your forehead, little Johnny, because God wants to use you. And I'm your mom, I'm your dad, I can tell you. I knew from the day one, you were special, you were called according to God. God always wanted to use you. Where are you at with that? And all you that want kids, can you even do that? No, because you can barely do it for yourself. Do you even know why you are here? Nope. Then don't try to have no kids. Because you lost, they're going to be lost, all y'all going to be lost. They can come to me, Pastor, what are we supposed to do? All right. Let's do it. You're supposed to be doing this, she's supposed to be doing that, they're supposed to be doing that. Now let's go. Nah, that's all right. 
No, nah, that, that's okay. We got it. Okay. This is the hearts of the Father turning to the children. This is the preparedness of the Lord. Where you call, you speak to them, I know what you're called for. That was an anchor to me when I was deep in sin. You know that song, the, end of the Color Purple, when she busts in, God's trying to tell you something. Every time that I was so bad in sin, and we watched that in college, and I was like, I got to go to church. It brought me back every time. I don't want to watch that movie because I'm going to go to church. <laughs> but it revealed, it's, it's always something that keeps saying, you belong to God. And you, parents, with these lovely Christmas presents, really have the opportunity to prepare your children for the way of the Lord. That they might live in his way. You have a way to prepare them that your parents did not do you know how I know? Because I'm your pastor. You got a way now. That's what you should be giving them. Standing all over the house. 